Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. For the last two years, we've been journeying through Genesis as a community, delving into the origin stories and histories of our faith. In this series of Genesis, we step into the patriarchal families of Abraham and continue to see how both the promise of God is fulfilled, but also the brokenness of man. Ultimately, we see that even though we are the great promise breakers, he is the great promise keeper. We pray that this message is a blessing. Well, how is everyone this morning? Doing all right? Oh, a couple of people are. That's awesome. It's a beautiful sunny day out there. If you've not met me, my name is Scott. I am one of the pastors here, and we are in our part three of our Genesis series. And you're like, what? What Genesis series? We've been going through Genesis for the last three years. At this time of year, we pick a portion of Genesis and we go through it. And this is part three. We're going to be finishing off the book of Genesis this year. And the reason why is because we wanted to slowly walk through the book of Genesis. So we as a church get a better understanding that God is the same God from the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of Scripture, through to the incarnation of Christ, to Christ coming to even to today. The God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And so in 2021, we started and we looked at the beginning of creation. We looked at that God created the heavens and the earth and everything that was in them. And the creation was beautiful and it was good and it was perfect. And he created man in his image. He says, I created male and female in the image of God, that we have a unique purpose. We have a unique blessing, that we are so unique in creation, that we are made in the image of God, that each and every one of us is like that. And then we see this fall of humanity. We looked at when we turned away from God and sin entered into the world. And then we looked at what that sin produced, where Cain murdered his brother Abel, the first brothers in the Bible, there was murder already. And sin just perfade out throughout history. And then last year, we looked at the story of Abraham. We focused in on Abraham and the promises of God, the covenant of God to Abraham, where God says, you know, I'm going to make a covenant with you, that I'm going to bring the Messiah in and through your lineage, through your seed. But you know what? You guys are going to continue to break this covenant, but I'm a good and faithful God, full of mercy and grace, and I'm going to keep my side of the covenant. And then this year, we come into the last part of the book of Genesis. We're finishing off looking at Jacob and his son Joseph in the beginning of the nation of Israel. But today, we're going to start with the story of Abraham's son, Isaac, and this struggle of his children, Jacob and Esau. But we're also going to look at the unchangeable, immovable, eternal promises of God. So one of the scriptures we're going to be looking at today is Genesis 27, verses 21 to 24. So in this moment, Jacob... Um, Isaac's son is actually deceiving his dad to receive a blessing. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him, and he says, Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, he replied. You see, in this moment, we have this story. It's riddled with lies and deceit and scheming and this family dysfunction. But before we get into the message, I'd love to pray. So would you please join me? Father God, we thank you for your word, Lord, for your word is truth. And Lord, we thank you for these stories that we see that even through all our history, 
There has been family dysfunction. There's been lying. There's been deceit. Lord, I pray that you would help me preach this message with truth, with grace, and with love. Lord, that in the end, that they wouldn't look to me, they'd only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many, many years ago, my wife and I, we were scammed out of all of our super money. There was this company that was setting up self-managed super funds where you could buy property with your super, rent the property out, and hopefully over time, over the years, that that property would grow in value so you'd exponentially grow your super. And so this company would set up all the legals and everything and help you buy the property. And, and so we went with this company thought, this is a great idea. So we had that property for a few years, and then we get a phone call one day from the ATO saying, hey, this has been set up totally illegal. We're going to come after you if you don't fix this. And we were like, whoa, hang on a second. What do you mean it's been set up illegal? We went through all the lawyers and everything. We had no idea. We said, this is the company. And they go, yeah, we know that company. We know that they, these schemes, they set these schemes up. They don't do it properly. And then they just shut the company so no one can get them. And we're like, so you know it wasn't us. Why are you coming after us? And they said, because you've got to fix it. And so by this date, it needs to be fixed. And we went around, tried to get refinanced. I was a pastor. We didn't, weren't earning enough. No one to refinance. So we had to sell the property. And we had to sell it fast. And we sold it for a massive loss. In the end, when we paid all the fees and everything, we'd lost our entire super. Hundreds of thousands of dollars gone. We were totally scammed. And in that moment, I had to trust. Do I trust in the promises of God that, that he still got me? Or do I worry about the fact that I have no super in for my future? I wonder if you've been scammed. Well, the story about Jacob and Esau, Rebecca and Isaac is this classic example of being scammed. Now, where are we in this context? We've left off last year from Abraham and Sarah dying. So Sarah, his wife, dies, and then Abraham actually gets a few more wives. He continues to marry and get wives and have kids, but there's only one kid that the promise is coming through, and that is Isaac. And then about 175 years old, Abraham dies. And it follows the life of Isaac, and he's blessed by God, and he's prosperous. prosperous. And he marries a woman named Rebekah at the age 40. And we pick up the story in Genesis 25, verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. This is 20 years after they married. He married her at 40. For 20 years, she was barren. And, and Isaac comes before the Lord. He's interceding for his wife. This is beautiful, you know. Do you know we can pray for our spouses? Do you know we can intercede for our family, for our friends? Here's a beautiful example where we can come before God and go, God, you see what they're going through. I'm asking you to step in. And this pregnancy that Rebecca has, it's really rough. Things aren't going right. She can feel it with inside of her. So then she inquires of the Lord. And the Lord gives a promise in verse 21. It says, the babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. So God tells Rebekah that the eldest son, Esau, would actually serve the younger son, Jacob. And you might think, man, that's unfair. Like God's determining their life before they're even born. But this prophecy in verse 23 is not God damning Esau. It's God showing that he is God and he knows all things, that he knows the future. And this is a means of grace to Rebekah as she inquires of the Lord. God's saying to Rebekah, 
everything is okay. I actually know what's going to happen. I know how their life is going to play out. It's all right, trust me. And so the first point I want to explore today is the sovereignty of God. What does the sovereignty of God mean? Well, the fact that God is sovereign essentially means that he has the power, the wisdom, and authority to do anything he chooses within his creation. And why? Because he created it all. He is the creator of all things, and he is God. And to accept the sovereignty of God in our lives, we have to have some measure of humility. We have to be able to come before God and go, do you know what? I don't know everything. I don't know how everything is made. I submit to you. You are the higher authority. It takes a level of humility to accept the sovereignty of God. You know, God's sovereignty is one of the most important principles in Christian theology. Whether or not God is sovereign is, is not a topic of debate. All mainstream Christian theologians agree that God is preeminent, and he is preeminent in power and authority. And God's sovereignty is a natural consequence of his omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. You're like, what do these words mean? What are you talking about? Well, these things describe who God is. And omni just basically means all. So the start of each word means all. Om omniscience is all-knowing. That God knows everything. He knows the beginning from the end. There is nothing that God doesn't know. God created time, space, and matter. He has all knowledge of all things. Then we have omnipotence. means he's all-powerful. Think about the trillions and trillions of stars that are out there in the universe. God created them. Think about the power just in our sun. God is way more powerful than anything that we could ever imagine. And there's, every time we build a telescope to look further into space, we find there's trillions upon trillions upon trillions of stars out behind that. That's how powerful God is. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. He is all-powerful. And we think, oh, is God in a battle with Satan? Like we have these two equal powers? No. Satan is just a creation of God. He's a created being. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. This is not even the same battle. He's not equal with God, and we need to recognize that. And God is omnipresent, means he's all-present in all places at all times. God is here present with us today. But he's also present on the other side of the world where they're worshipping Jesus. He's present, he knows your thoughts. He sees what you go through. Again, Satan is not omnipresent. Satan is in the Bible, he's in one place at one time. Satan, nowhere in the Bible does he read your thoughts like God can. And God is way more powerful and God is in full control, which means he is sovereign. But here's the thing, whether or not he actually exerts that level of control in any given circumstance is actually a completely different question. God is sovereign, but he allows humanity a degree of responsibility and choice. So how does that work? Well, I have no control over the place of my birth. I have no control over the color of my skin. I have no control over the time I was to be born in history. God is sovereign and he chooses that. God makes those decisions, and he can. Who am I to stand before God and go, why? I don't know. Who knows his counsel? But he is wise, and he knows all things. But the Bible is very clear that I'm responsible for my decisions and actions in life. Like when I sin, I'm actually responsible for my sin. That God holds us responsible for how we love and treat each other. That's just because we have responsibility. Just because we have responsibility... And, and we have responsibility for action, that doesn't remove God's sovereignty. 
But it's God because it's God who gives us the ability to make choices either good or bad. A.W. Tozer says it this way. God sovereignly decreed that man should be free to exercise moral choice. And a man from the beginning has fulfilled that decree by making his choice between good and evil. When he chooses to do evil, he does not thereby countervail the sovereign will of God, but fulfills it inasmuch as the eternal decree decided not choice which choice the man should make, but that he should be free to make it. Men's will is free because God is sovereign. A God less than sovereign could not bestow moral freedom upon his creatures. He would be too afraid to do so. We think that when we make choices, that takes away God's sovereignty. We have a too small a view of who God is. If God decrees that we can make a choice, then every time we make a choice, we're fulfilling that decree. We're fulfilling the will of God. We think that God is so small. We don't understand. If we, don't under, if we can't accept this, we don't understand the omniscience, the omnipotence, and the omnipresence of God. You see, we see an example of God's sovereignty and human responsibility in the book of Acts. God's plan of salvation was that Jesus would die for the sins of the world, right? But Peter puts the death of Christ squarely on the Jews. God planned Jesus to die, but the Jews were 100% responsible for killing Jesus. In Acts 2.22, he says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied and said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Here we see the sovereignty of God, the plan of God, the foreknowledge of God in salvation where God says, I'm going to send my son to die for you. But we also see human responsibility. Peter's like, you guys put him to death along with wicked men. You nailed him to the cross. And you see, in Middle East... In the Jewish culture, they have no problem with this concept of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. But here in the Western world, we have a problem with it because we like to put God in a box. We like to think, well, I need to understand this fully, otherwise it can't be true. How can that not be true? We are not God. We're not all-knowing. And we see this concept. We struggle with it. It's like me asking my kids, hey, do you want KFC or veggies for dinner? I know what they're going to choose, right? (laughs) You can say, I'm sovereign in that. I'm like, I I know, I have foreknowledge. I know what they're going to choose. They're going to choose KFC that I love too. But And then we're all going to feel sick after. There's a consequence, right, to our actions. God's not surprised by our bad decisions. He's not like, wow, didn't expect that. Didn't expect him to do that just then. And the reason is that God knows everything and he acts and judges accordingly. So God is giving Rebecca the prophecy, not determining Esau to be a bad person, but he's revealing the future hell for both sons. God's saying to Rebecca, don't worry. I know there's a struggle in you, but I know what's going to happen. Trust me, I've got it. But as we'll see later, Rebecca and Jacob, they don't trust God and they take things into their own hands. So in verse 24, we see the birth of the boys. So when her days were fulfilled to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, he was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. 
Afterwards, his brother came out and his hand took a hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So funny, so Esau comes out first. It was true, the prophecy was true. There were two nations in her womb. He comes out, he's super hairy. He's like a ginger man, um, which is all cool. That's great. We love our redhead people, like Australians love them. Um, and so he comes out, redhead, he's all hairy. Um, and the other one comes out with his hand on a heel, and that's Jacob. And in the Old Testament, names had meaning. And the meaning of Jacob's name means he grasped the heel, which in Hebrew is an idiom for deceptive behavior. And we'll find out why he's named that in a moment. So in verse 27, the boys grow up. And Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of open country. And while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. You see, here we have the start of dysfunction. It's that we have favourites. We have Isaac and Rebekah have their favourite sons. If you want family dysfunction, this is one way to cultivate it, to love one child over another. But I want to ask the question, does God love all his children the same? Absolutely. St. Augustine says, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. Church, God doesn't love me because I'm a pastor more than you. He doesn't love the person next to you more than you. He loves you. There is no favorites in the kingdom of God. We're all beloved children of God, loved by a perfectly heavenly Father. And someone here today needs to hear that, that God actually loves you. He adores you. He wants to have a relationship with you. But what we see here in the story of Jacob and Esau is this brokenness of the human heart manifesting Isaac and Rebekah having favourites. And the boys grow up. They become adults. And this is where the scamming and scheming of Jacob starts. God's already said that he will make him a great nation. He'll rule over his brother Esau. But Jacob feels like he actually needs to make this happen. No, I've got to make this happen. I don't trust that God's going to do it. So in Genesis 25, 29, we read, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Right here is an example of a lack of faith in God by Jacob and by Esau. First, Jacob felt the need to attain Esau's birthright to secure his future. He's like, I know this has been promised, but you know what? I got to make this happen. I got to grab hold of this. I don't trust God will do it. How often do we do the same? We try and find our security and wealth and fame and, and earthly pleasures and desires and we try to make things happen in our own strength. We try and make it happen without God. And we wonder why things go bad. You see, Jacob's trying to attain for himself the prophecy, the promise of God, while Esau, he's rejecting his birthright. This is really important. Because early in Genesis, God promises Abraham, promises to Abraham, he established this importance that you want to be the seed of Abraham. I'm going to bring the Messiah through your seed. He says, I'm going to bless the world through your seed, which means the world is going to be blessed through you. The Messiah is going to come through your, through your seed and he's going to die for the sins of the world. This is an amazing promise. So to possess this divine birthright, 
And to be part of this chosen scene was, was the greatest blessing anyone could hope to receive. And as the firstborn of Isaac and Rebekah, Esau was heir of the Lord's promise. He should have clung to this responsibility tenaciously. He should have been willing to hold on to that, that beauty. So how foolish then is Esau to reject that honour and his part in the redemption of humanity when he sells his birthright for stew. In essence, he's rejecting the promise of God. He's rejecting his part in the plan of salvation just for some food. We sell our birthright for earthly things too that will perish all the time. We sell our souls for fame or for fortune or for wealth to the detriment of our souls. We reject God because we want all these things other than him. Do we know that the love of sin and earthly things is such a huge barrier for people coming to faith in Jesus? And God sees this rejection of this birthright as rebellion, as wickedness. God sees Esau's rejection of his birthright as total rejection of him. And we know this because verse 34 says, So Esau despised his birthright. Despised means to feel contempt towards or a deep repugnance of. Esau didn't care about God or his plan or his promise. In fact, he despised it, wanted nothing to do with it. Chuck Smith says, Esau was that way. He really didn't care about God or the things of God. He was a very natural man. He was a typical natural man, interested in manly kind of things, to be sure, not interested in godly things. And God, knowing in advance his disposition and his despising of spiritual things in advance, chose the younger to be the heir and the one whom the Messiah would eventually come. So the younger one is chosen by God over the older while still in the womb. Do you know that you have a birthright? Do you know that all of humanity has a birthright? We're all born with the birthright, and that is to become children of God. We all have an opportunity to receive our birthright, adoption in the family of God through our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. But here's the truth. Some receive the birthright through repentance and faith, and other people, like Esau, they reject the birthright. They want nothing to do with God or spiritual things. So the question is today, will you embrace your birthright, receive the promise of God in Jesus Christ, or, or will you reject the birthright like Esau and be separated from God for eternity? Because in the end, God will bring judgment on the ungodly, those that despise their birthright, but he'll also bring full redemption to all who repent and put their faith and trust in him. Church, today, the choice is yours. The story continues in chapter 6 and life goes on for Isaac and his family and they have these different struggles, they have these threats that come, there's a, there's a famine that hits them, so things aren't always rosy. And then Esau continues rejecting the will of God by marrying women from other countries that worship other gods. And we get to this point in chapter 27 where Isaac, their father, he's old. He's about to die. Chapter 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now old, an old man. I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food that I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. We find Isaac in this, is in this place where he's super old. He can't see anymore. His eyes have failed him. He's probably bedridden. And he's like, you know what? I wouldn't mind my favorite meal. I don't know the day of my death, but it feels like it's pretty close. I'd love some KFC. Right, so he's like, I want my favorite meal. 
So he calls Esau and he says, hey, bring me my favourite meal because I actually want to bless you, which was the custom of the time before the patriarch would die. He would bless the elders. And here's the thing. Rebecca, his wife, she hears the conversation and she devises a plan to get Jacob the blessing over Esau. So Rebecca says to Jacob, Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so he may give you this blessing before he dies. Mum's a mad scammer too. Like, we know where he got it from, right? Like, Mum's scheming and scamming. <clears throat> and Jacob's like, hey, Mum, no way. My brother's super hairy. He's nothing like me. Dad will know that I'm not Esau. Therefore, he won't bless me. He'll actually curse me. And she's like, don't worry. Let that curse be upon me. Just do what I say. So they actually make this plan where, where they put Esau's clothes on Jacob and they put animal hair on his exposed skin to make him feel like that he's all hairy. So they both carry out this plan of deception. But Isaac, when he comes, when Jacob comes, he's a little bit sus on Jacob when he comes and gives him the food. In verse 21, it says, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. And he asked, Are you really my son Esau? I am, he replied. Jacob just straight up lies to his dad. Like his dad, Isaac, directly asked him, are you my son Esau? He's like, yep, yep, it's me. Have you ever straight up lied to get something or to gain something? Have you ever lied to save your job? Have you ever lied, straight up lied to make money, to get out of trouble, to gain some sort of advantage? Have you ever lied to look better than you really are? Or have you ever lied to make people think you're something that you're not? Yes, you have. We, we all have, right? We've all lied to gain our own advantage. We're all like Jacob somewhat in some way, shape, and form. We're shocked at Jacob, but we, we do this too. Church, this is not good. Lying is not from God. Jesus is speaking to the religious rulers, the Pharisees, in John chapter 8, verse 44. And he says, You are of the Father, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of the Father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he was a liar and the father of it. Do you know when we lie, we're aligning ourselves with Satan? Because he's the father of lies. God does not lie. When we lie, we're aligning ourselves and we're saying, oh, I'm happy to act like you, and we're meant to be acting like Jesus. This is not okay. And God doesn't need us to lie, about, to, lie to bring about his plan. God is sovereign. He'll bring about his plan. We deceive ourselves into thinking that God needs our help, especially if we have to lie to make it happen. But here's the thing, this deception works. And Isaac eats his favourite food and then he blesses Jacob instead of Esau. Verse 26, Then his father said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. And, he, and when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him. He's like, remember, Jacob's wearing Isaac, he's wearing Esau's clothes. And he goes, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the heaven's dew and the earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. 
May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. So he has this beautiful blessing that he gives to his son. He says, may God bless you abundantly. May nations serve you. May you, Lord, over your brothers, may they come and serve you. And whoever curses you, may they be cursed. Whoever blesses you, may they be blessed. Do we know this comes from the promise that God gave to Abraham? God said to Abraham, anyone who curses you, I'm going to curse. And anyone who blesses you, I'm going to bless. I am going to protect you. You are my chosen. And so this is continuing down the line to Isaac, and he's giving that to who he thinks is Esau, but it's not. So Isaac blesses Jacob, not Esau. And this final blessing in the time of of the patriarchs, it acted like a last will and testament. And so it was highly prized means of revealing God's will. So this is seen as as Isaac's last will and testament, and seen as prophetic in nature. So once it's given, it actually couldn't be taken back. So what's wrong with this scenario apart from the obvious deceit? Well, it's a clear example of lack of faith, where we don't trust God and his promises. You see, God had given Rebecca the prophecy that Jacob, the youngest, would rule and rule Esau and serve him. But Rebecca and Jacob, they didn't trust God had it. They thought they had to make it happen. You see, they bring in their human efforts like, oh, no, we got this. We don't need you. I can make this happen for myself. And we see this is not the first time we see this in this family. Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was barren for many, many years, and God had made a promise that the Messiah would come through Abraham's seed, and she was barren. And, and they were like, this has taken too long. And Sarah was like, hey, take my maidservant. Maybe you'll have a kid through her. So they do. They do that. And they have Ishmael. And God's like, no, no, no. My promise is not. I said the promise is going to come through your seed. And so eventually she does become pregnant and they have um, Isaac. So again, we see back then they were trying to make things happen for God because they couldn't wait and trust in his promise. And this is what's happening here. You see, the human heart struggles to trust God and his promises, even when he clearly directs us and clearly tells us. And we today, we have his word. We have the word of God, the Bible, and all the promises in it, but we constantly take things into our own hands, don't we? And the result here is lies and family dysfunction. So Esau comes home from out hunting, trying to find this game, and he finds out that, G- uh, that Jacob has deceived Isaac and taken his blessing from him. He is mad, like M-A-D. He's like super upset. So mad, in fact, that he openly declares, hey, when dad dies and we've mourned him, I'm going to kill you. I'm actually coming and I'm going to take your life and I'm going to receive back what is mine. And because of this, Jacob actually has to run away to another country to, to save his life, and he leaves everything. He leaves with nothing. So all this scheming and lying and deception leads to Jacob having to run away to save his life, and he received none of that inheritance. It didn't work. In fact, it actually produced suffering for him. And sometimes the suffering we endure is totally self-inflicted. And again, God is sovereign, but we're responsible for our actions. Tanya, do you want to come up? Look, I just I look at poor Isaac. He's so old and he can't see, right? He's blind. He's thinking two out of three ain't bad. Like he's like he doesn't sound like like my son Esau, but he feels and smells like him. So maybe I'm that old. My hearing's going too. You see, Rebecca and Jacob use his ailments against him to deceive him. So poor Isaac has been totally deceived by his own wife his own son, just let that one marinate for a moment. That's how you'd feel. 
Have you ever been hurt by family? I'm sure many of us have. Unfortunately, family hurting family, it's a problem we see from the beginning of Scripture. It's this condition of the human heart, and it's more evidence of the problem of sin that we need to deal with. Sin is so powerful and it's so ingrained in the human heart that we hurt the people closest to us, the ones we're meant to love and protect. And you might have been hurt by your family, those closest to you, and it's actually stopping you trusting in the family of God. And I I get that. I understand when we're hurt by family, then we struggle to trust the loving God because that's not what we've experienced here. I'm here to tell you today that God is perfect. God is beautiful. He's full of mercy and grace and love. God doesn't love like we love. And yes, we've been hurt. And I'd love to pray for you after the service if that's the case. But we need to trust in an all-loving, all-powerful God because God doesn't hurt his kids. In fact, God lays his life down for his kids. God loves us so much that he came to deal with that problem of sin that's pervaded our hearts so badly that we would hurt each other, even those of our family. That Jesus came in the flesh and said, you know what, all that dysfunction, I'm going to allow you to throw on me. I'm going to come, you're going to hate me, you're going to spit on me, you're going to mock me. I'm the God of heaven and earth. I have all power and authority. He could destroy us, but he didn't. Because he showed us his mercy and his grace in Jesus Christ. He had all power, but he allowed humanity to stick him on a cross. Because Jesus knew if I go to that cross, I'm going to take on the sin of the world. I'm going to deal with this problem of sin that's so ingrained in you that we see throughout the Scriptures. And I'm going to bury you in the grave. And when I rise again, all those who repent and put their faith and trust in me will be free from this power of sin. You have an eternity with me. There will be no more crying, no more pain. This is the beauty of the gospel. And no matter what humanity tries to do, No matter how hard we try to eliminate God from existence, we can't. Because God does exist. He is sovereign and God does reign over all creation. And Jesus' resurrection is evidence of this fact that he's in full control. You can hate him. You can reject him. You can mock him. You can ignore him. You can pretend he doesn't exist. You can even kill him. But the resurrection tells us that none of these things change the fact that he is God and he is sovereign over all the course of history. And one day he's going to make all things perfect. You see, he is the only one who has the power over all of life, the authority to give it to all that believe. Church, this gives me so much joy and so much hope that this doesn't depend on me. Because as we see in Scripture, we mess it up. My salvation isn't dependent on how good I am. It's dependent on how good Jesus is and what He did on the cross for me. This is the beauty and the promise to God that we can actually stand in. So what do we learn from this Scripture? That God is absolutely sovereign and we are responsible for our decisions. That just like Esau, we actually have a birthright. We have an opportunity to be part of the family of God, but some reject it. And some receive it. That we're actually called to trust the promises of God and not try and make them happen, but trust that He is holy and righteous and good and knows all things and in the right time that He will bring it to fruition. And when we don't trust God and we do things like lying and deceiving to make things happen, this actually causes pain not only to ourselves, but to those around us. But here's the beauty. Even though He's messed up and He's running away, with nothing. If you come back in the next couple of weeks, you'll see the faithfulness and the mercy and the love of God because he still brings about that promise he gave. 
So church, all we can do is trust the promises of God in, in Jesus, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what the world throws at you, because Jesus, redemption of Jesus is a sure promise that we can stand firm on, that God loves us and that he is with us and that he will bring salvation to us through our Lord Jesus Christ when he returns and makes all things new. That's the promise that we can stand on. So would you join me in prayer? Father God, I just thank you so much for, for your scriptures, Lord. That although some of us here have experienced hurt by family and friends, those that are closest to us, God, we see that this has been happening throughout the centuries. That we are not alone. That, Lord, you are not, are not shocked. But, God, that you walk with us. That you guide us. That you protect us. So God, I pray for these situations. When we interact with family and friends, I pray, Lord, that there would be mercy and grace. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us strength. Not to retaliate, but maybe to, to extend forgiveness. Just like the forgiveness you've extended us through Jesus Christ on the cross. God, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to be light in the darkness, maybe in our families, Lord. And those of us who have been hurt, Lord, we pray for healing of our heart. Pray, Holy Spirit, you would come even now and just bring healing there. And as we're in this moment of prayer, you might be sitting there and, and your sin is just revealed in your heart and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner and I don't know what to do. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus died for your sin. You have a birthright that you can claim right now. There's nothing you need to do except repent of your sin. And put your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross. His hand is extended today. And he says, come home, my child. I want to redeem you and restore you. So in this moment, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. While everyone is in that prayer position, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up so I can see you. I'd love to pray for you. So if you want to receive your birthright that Jesus paid for you on the cross, I'll see you receive, just lift your hand up now. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, those who have their hand up, God, I pray that you would just bless them with your Holy Spirit. Lord, if you just want to pray this in your heart with me, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, I repent of my sin and I put my full faith and trust in Jesus. I believe he died for my sin and he rose again in victory over my sin. And Lord, I ask for the gift of your Holy Spirit that I may become a child of God. And Lord, I ask that you bless them right now, that those that prayed that in their heart would know that you have washed them clean by your blood, that they have received their birthright to be a son and daughter of the Most High God. Lord, we give you all the glory and the praise and the honor. And Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you like to stand with us as we worship? And we're going to sing a song. And the song is called Promises. There is one thing that we can count on in this life, and that is the faithfulness and the goodness and the mercy of God. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.